everyone. Welcome back to Sophomore Citizens. Today we have yet another very special guest, my dear friend, Anna Lewis. Her and I met back in the seventh grade thanks to none other than Lily Zoller herself. They had sixth grade class together. Here we are almost 10 years later, besties. So it is important that we get to know Anna in the classic segment where we learn about our guests. In a segment we are calling Analyzing okay. Anna. Exactly. You got getting to know Gum. You got exploring Xtina. And now here comes Analyzing Anna. <laughs> Anna, are you ready? I am ready. Okay, let's get into it. The first question I have for you is for you to tell us a little bit about your name. Obviously, your name is spelled A-N-N-A. Do a lot of people accidentally call you Anna? Does that bother you? Do you like your name? Would you want to change your name? How do you feel? Um, I absolutely love that question because a lot of people call me Anna and that's not my name. It's Anna. <laughs> and I try to spell it out phonetically on Instagram as A-W-N-A. So it's clear, but I think it's still unclear for people sometimes. But my biggest pet peeve is when I've told someone multiple times that my name is Anna and they still refer to me as Anna. Especially because you don't feel like an Anna at all. I don't feel like an Anna. And it's like, if someone walked around calling me Lysol, like I would be pissed, (sighs) you know, like I would not be happy. But it's like, because Anna is a name, people are like, oh yeah, like that's fine. Like I can just walk around calling her that. It's so annoying. So annoying. Okay, Okay, anyways, now that we cleared that one up. Yep. Um, So also something interesting about Anna is that you are in the process of learning and practicing your DJ skills. Yes. So do you have any specific song or artist requests or recommendations for our listeners? Um, That's a great question. I mean, I listen to a broad variety of music. Is there someone recently, though, that you're like, oh, not many people know about this artist and maybe some of our listeners should check them out? Um, I love John Tejada. Okay. How do you spell that? T-E-J-A-D-A. Okay. And then John, John you know, just the classic spelling. The classic of spelling. John. Okay, John Tejada. And what um, is that kind of vibe? It's like house. Okay. Um, yeah, but I've also been listening to a lot of Afro music and old rap and yeah yeah wonderful that's so fun i am like still waiting for anna to release my soundcloud yeah quarantine mix that would be so good yeah unfortunately it's i'm still having difficulties learning how to mix um rap and other Mm. genres of music but i'm doing okay right now so yeah okay i like that question yes our next question for you this one (laughs) came from the mind of Gigi. um shag mary avoid Harry Potter, Edward Cullen, and <laughs> Luke Skywalker. Oh, God. Just like Luke. <laughs> um, okay. So we have Edward Cullen. The vampire. The Harry va- Potter, the yes. wizard. And Luke Skywalker, the... Jedi um, master. The Jedi master space cowboy. I think I would avoid Harry Potter. Yeah. <laughs> I would shag... Um, I would shag Edward Cullen, mm-hmm. and the last one's Mary, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'd marry Luke. Okay. Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I would say the same. Edward would be awful to be married to, I think. You know, vampire, not very convenient. But we're, we're discussing them as their actual characters, not yeah. like Robert Pattinson, no, 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 Daniel no, no, no. Radcliffe. No, no, no. The characters. The characters. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, my, my answer's finalized. Harry Potter is also like 12, so that would probably be inappropriate. Yeah. Um. Okay, and our last question in analyzing Anna is... 
Can you please describe your perfect vacation destination? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I've never been to Bali before, <laughs> and I joke about that with Gigi all the time. But I think that'd be really cool to go there, you know, explore the music scene, go to the beach, do some yoga. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I really feel like uh, our listeners got a little glimpse into the wonderful world of Anna. So thank you for sharing. I loved analyzing. Yeah. I loved analyzing too. I'm so glad we got to analyze. But now it's time for us to move into check-ins. I would say the thing that has defined the last couple of days for me is a certain feeling within my booty of being blasted. We did a uh, workout video YouTube thing that Anna had set up for us in our home. Don't worry, we did not go to any sort of workout studio. And the video was called Booty Blast, if I'm not mistaken. It was called Booty Blast, yeah. And I've been struggling walking. I've been struggling sitting down. I've been struggling sleeping. My booty is blasted. That's that's it. Yeah. I feel like I got used to the feeling in my butt. I feel like it's been blasted since we did that class. But because I have frequently been doing this class, I think my booty just permanently feels... Blasted. Blasted. Yeah. Right. Totally. And, my, and that's the goal. That is the goal. I didn't have the pleasure of taking this class, but my booty <laughs> doesn't feel blasted, and I've never been so proud to say that my booty's not blasted. <laughs> <laughs> um, we also did do an at-home core power class this morning with Anna. Unfortunately, Lily was also not present for that. Lily, next time we will invite you. Don't worry. Thank you. Um, but yeah, as we've mentioned previously on the podcast, we've really been enjoying our at-home workout classes, put on your own music, get the, you know, screen going, and just have a little fun at home. Yeah, and one thing I will say that was, I'm not going to lie, ingenious on my part was to turn on closed captioning so that we had the captions on the screen of the instructions for the yoga, and we could blast our own music, which is so much fun. I think that is crucial for the at-home workout experience, just putting whatever voice is speaking on all-time low, yeah. and then you just blasting your own tunes super loud. Yeah, totally. So we have one other general check-in and activity that myself, Weasel, and Lily did yesterday. Do either of you care to tell us all about that? Yeah, I would love to talk about it. I think that we've mentioned previously on this podcast that Lily, Gigi, and I were recently hired as wedding photographers. <laughs> the wedding is taking place in 2022. Oh, wow. So uh, it's a ways away. But we did a sort of trial and we did some engagement photos for them yesterday around sunset. Um, and it was honestly just such a fun time. Um, it's it's such a funny thing to like be, you know, coaching and like hyping up a couple, you know, to be doing engagement photos. And like at one point I literally had to be like, Okay, guys, so, like, are we going to do kissing? What? How'd you hype them up when you were taking the You know, photos? just like, these guys trying to steal my thunder. Right. Yeah, my job was title the hype girl. Was the hype girl. <laughs> Lily, what did you say? Were you like, I mean, I'm not saying that I necessarily did it to the best of my ability yesterday because that was just a trial run, but I just, like, want to keep my title as hype man because that's who I am. But I spent the majority of my time looking through Pinterest for poses well, the two of these wonderful photographers <laughs> actually Google? executed. Wedding poses? Engagement photos. Oh, yeah, and there's I'm, a name for that. <laughs> I would look through it. I'd be like, oh, guys, this one's cute. Okay. So Wrap your arms your around each other, other. Then kiss her forehead. Kiss her temple. Oh, my God. I would have been laughing the whole time. Yeah. Also, I think Lily kiss was. Kiss her temple. <laughs> Lily 
Lily was the perfect woman for the job because she could kind of get the vibe. She could kind of see like what what made the most sense and like just then instructed them what to do. And I think we got some great photos. How was the chemistry between the two of them? Oh, the chemistry was great. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I feel like it was, it was good to get that practice in before the wedding. Um, obviously it's in two years, so soon there's so much pressure. Um, but I'm really excited that we got that done and we've been editing the photos, which is really fun. Um, so that was just such an interesting, fun experience. So our topic for today will center around mental health. This is a trigger warning for this episode of Sophomore Citizens. If you are uncomfortable listening um, to topics regarding mental health, specifically eating disorders, anxiety, depression, and other similar mental health struggles, um, maybe this isn't the best episode for you. We would definitely recommend to check out another one. Um, So please be cautious as you're listening. And if you feel triggered at any point, maybe just shut it off. Okay, so now I think it would be wonderful for us to all share our own personal experiences around mental health. Again, similar to the body positivity episode, we are all here to speak from the heart, to share our personal experiences, and to just get a better understanding of each other and what they've been through regarding mental health. So I will kick us off with my own personal experience. Um, Again, as I had mentioned in the body positivity episode, I have dealt with some struggles regarding disordered eating habits. I've been through periods of restriction. I've been through periods of binging. I've been through periods of, you know, body dysmorphia to a certain extent of just not having a good sense of you know what my body looks like or looking in the mirror and feeling like something is off when nothing is wrong and you you get the idea um but i think as far as mental health goes um separate from my eating issues of the past i in my senior year of high school dealt with some depression and anxiety related to school college applications, my future, and just generally feeling very hopeless. And like, there was never a time where I was seriously considering taking my own life. But I certainly felt like there's just nothing for me. There's no future for me that I have no hope for what's to come. Um, And I was seeing a therapist twice a week. I also went to a small group therapy with some other young people who have had, you know, mental health struggles of their own. And luckily for me, um, the experience of my, like, the deep depths of my depression um, was relatively short-lived. It was only a span of a few months. And I remember speaking to my therapist about it and just feeling like, what I'm going through, like, can't be that bad. It can't be, like, bad enough to go on medication it can't be bad enough for this or to feel like I deserve the label of being depressed because although I was feeling something very intense and sad deep inside of me I still didn't feel like I was deserving of that like you know of that label if that makes sense and I remember my therapist telling me like most people will go through some version of depression it could be for a long time could be for a short period of time throughout their life And it's not something to feel ashamed about. It's not something to feel like you're undeserving of that label. It just is what it is. 
And she at one point had suggested that I try medication. And I had said, you know, I think what I'm experiencing is kind of circumstantial as far as school, college apps, all that kind of stuff. And I said, let's just see how things go once I'm on winter break. And once I'm into my second semester of senior year, if I'm still having these issues and if it is something that persists despite my circumstances changing, then I'm open to trying medication. But if I can, you know, manage it or, or find a way out of it without that, I'm going to try. And so luckily for me, I, I did find that my circumstances changing did pretty um, significantly affect my mood and my experience and everything. Um, but I did continue seeing my therapist and going to my group therapy because I really did find it super, super helpful. Um, and I would say that that's kind of where I'm at generally. I've had that experience. It's definitely still a part of me, but it's not something that I'm still like carrying on a daily basis by any means. Um, Liesl, would you like to share with us your own personal experience? Yes, I would love to. So interestingly enough, um, when I was in elementary school was actually when I went to therapy, which I feel like is pretty uncommon, especially for a kid who generally had a pretty normal life, normal experience. Um, but for whatever reason, I like had a major falling out with like my best friend at the time. I was probably in like third grade and we had like a, an all out screaming match. Like I literally could not tell you what it was about, but for whatever reason, we just had a really toxic dynamic, fell out with her. And I, I felt like I didn't have any friends at that point. Like after I lost my best friend and kind of the people who I was friends with who were also friends with her, I kind of felt like everyone sided with her. So as a kid, I don't know if my mood changed or if I was kind of acting out or what exactly happened, but my mom decided that I should go see a child psychologist. So I went to therapy for a little while. Um, and I honestly remember it being like, so just random, like, it, it didn't feel like it was actually therapy. He didn't ask me anything about my friends or my life. He literally would sit down and like ask me, what's your favorite animal? What's your favorite color? What do you like to do? Uh, how old are you? Like literally just the most basic weird questions. And then we would play a board game and like I would leave. And I remember <laughs> one time they invited me in to come like see, see how, how I interact. would yeah interact with Gigi. And like, that's the thing. I think that at that time they were just trying to make sure that I was like a normally developed child like they were just trying to make sure I wasn't gonna like throw the board game at this man or like get really upset when I lost but it was honestly kind of like a failure as far as therapy because I do think if this first of all like it was this older guy and I just feel like as a young you know third grade girl like I didn't really feel comfortable opening up to this strange man but on top of that like he just wasn't asking me about my experience or what I was going through or what my life was like, he was just asking me like random questions and was like, okay, she's fine. So then I moved on from that and I was fine. I made new friends. Don't worry. Um, but so that's kind of a, a different experience, I think, because I think a lot of kids haven't gone to therapy. Um, and then I would say throughout middle school and high school, I didn't really experience any super serious mental health struggles. Like I was pretty happy and, you know, just the normal teenage thing. Um, and then when I went into college, I think that that was probably the time in my life that was closest to like actually having a legitimate mental health struggle. Um, I just really wasn't very happy. I didn't make make the best friends. I 
I just really was not enjoying my experience at all. And I think that I even exhibited some like agoraphobia tendencies. Like I didn't want to leave my house or my apartment and I would get kind of anxious about just like leaving and even like interacting with like the people in like the lobby. Like I would get like anxious about interacting with people in my dorm hallway or like in the elevator or like in the lobby. And so I feel like that was probably the closest to having like a serious mental health struggle that I had. Um, But kind of as Gigi was saying, it was very circumstantial that I just did not like the circumstances that I was in. And then once the circumstances changed, I feel like my whole mindset and everything changed. Um, And yeah, then I also studied psychology in college. And so I feel like I do have a pretty good understanding of most mental illnesses and just different things and kind of strategies to cope with them. Um, Obviously, an undergraduate psychology degree makes you qualified for basically nothing. Like, I'm not a doctor in psychology or really have any major understanding above anyone else. Um, But I do think that there's some facts and things that I do know that kind of help me to understand, you know, people with mental illness or with mental health struggles a little bit better. Um, And that's something that I think is really valuable in my life as far as relating to others and um, yeah, all of that kind of stuff. So that's kind of my general story. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. Anna, would you like to share with us your experience? Yes, I would love to share. So I have battled with anxiety, I think, since probably towards the end of middle school. Um, I would say throughout childhood, I didn't have that many worries. I was really carefree. I had a lot of fun. But um, when I started middle school, I went to school in a neighborhood that wasn't where a lot of kids from my elementary school went. And I think I kind of came in there and I was just surrounded by all these new people. And I, I don't know, that was really shocking to me. And I just feel like in middle school, I felt... I felt happy, but I felt a little bit awkward. And then I think when I got to high school, I had this strong desire to fit in because I felt so bad for feeling so awkward in middle school, which is such a normal time to feel kind of weird and dorky. But I don't know. I I consumed a lot of social media. I was on apps like Tumblr a lot. And I just felt like I wanted to fit in so bad. And then that led me to making friends with people who... I think we're in the same boat as me. They just also had those same like teenage feelings. Um, But I just was around a lot of like toxic language. And I feel like that just contributed to my anxiety about myself and how I was perceived to other people and about my future academically. Um, So yeah, that definitely was kind of like the Kickstarter to my anxiety. And I also just feel like I went to high school at a school that isn't the most like conventional high school, I guess I would say, just because we are living or I I do live in Los Angeles and it's not, I don't know, there's just a lot of like glamorization of toxic behaviors. Exactly, toxic behaviors, um, materialism, superficialness. Is that a word? Yeah, superficiality. Superficiality. Thank you, Liesl. Um, Anyways, so I kind of thought that that would heal after I graduated, but I ended up choosing to go to a college. I I chose to go to this college because I just wanted to get out and I wanted to go to a school that wasn't um, 
by my house because I didn't get into many of my top choice schools. So I feel like already my decision to go to college was based off of an insecurity of just going to community college until I transferred to a school I really wanted to go to. So I, I felt so uncomfortable when I got to Boulder. That's where I went. Um, and I will elaborate elaborate later how my anxiety kind of manifested itself. Um, but as I've gotten older, it still kind of lingered and it kind of turned into a depression recently. Um, just a sense of hopelessness, kind of like what you were saying, Gigi, kind of like feeling a little bit like you don't have a direction. Um, so yeah, that would be kind of the rundown of my mental health battles. And I am sorry to sort of interject a little bit, Go ahead. but just to touch more on like this hopelessness or feeling uncertain about your future as someone who has never had much certainty about my future, I can feel the difference between the uncertainty that I had about my future that plagued my daily existence versus the uncertainty that I have about my future now where I'm kind of like able to sit with it and be like, I'll figure it out. You know, I feel like there's such a big difference between feeling like your life has no meaning and feeling like- It's like an existential dread. Exactly. It's an existential dread as opposed to just being like, oh, I don't know what job I'm going to get or I don't know where I'm going to go to school, which are normal feelings. But like that's kind of in psychology, like the word normal and abnormal is used a lot. And I feel like what's within the scope of quote unquote normal mental health is to feel confused about your future and uncertain and have questions. But the abnormal is this as Gigi's saying, like this plague of just existential dread and just what is the meaning of my life? What am I doing here? Like all the time. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Thank you, Anna. Lily, please share with us your experience. So I would say that my mental health struggles would be best summarized in my high school experience, which is really the only time in my life thus far that I felt like it was more because of outside pressures and like we've been saying a bunch circumstantial issues I was experiencing some issues and so I saw a therapist for all of high school which really set me up on a path that has led me to be mentally healthy for quite some time but familial pressures And like Anna was saying, just going to an unconventional high school, living in LA, whatever it might be, um, I experienced, I wouldn't say it, like nothing was diagnosed and I don't think that I had some massive struggle, but, you know, behaviors that were treated best in therapy through talking and I made it to a really healthy place that I'm proud of, but continue to deal with those things through therapy and talking to people that are mostly just circumstantial, but certainly things that I've gone through. One thing that I'd like to touch on that you mentioned, Lily, is like, you feel like you didn't have any quote unquote major issues, but that you still went to go see a therapist to work through those things. And I think like, that's what's so wonderful about our generation as opposed to generations before us that like there is such a strong stigma for a lot of older people around mental health and around seeking help yeah definitely but but that like as a younger generation we see it more as like this is a, a great space to be able to talk openly about whatever things you might be thinking or feeling or experiencing and it doesn't similar to what I was even saying about like 
I wasn't sure that what I was experiencing could be labeled as depression the way that everyone knows it to be, but it didn't need to be any like X standard. It just had to be what I was experiencing. And that was enough for me to seek help, you know? So I, uh, once again, would like to thank everyone for sharing your experiences. I think that we've laid a great foundation for us to get into our topics. And I think it's, it's so interesting to me that all four of us have been in therapy at some point in our lives. And like, I just want to reiterate and like underline what Gigi's saying about the importance and value of therapy, even if you don't feel like you're struggling, you know, too intensely with something. Like if you just need support or someone else to talk to who doesn't have any stake in your life, like therapy is a great option. And I think like, you know, finding the therapist that feels right for you is really important. And I feel like when I was a kid going to therapy, I know it sounds insignificant, but like, I wish that I had had the knowledge to be like, I want to talk to someone else. Like this person isn't helping me. Yeah. And I feel like I, with my own um, therapy experiences, I just kind of hopped around for a little bit. And I realized after a while that I just needed a more specific therapist um, to treat or to help treat my disorder. And after that happened, I felt a lot more confident about handling these situations and handling my anxiety. So I agree a lot with that. Yeah. And like coming from the background of psychology, like I learned that there's so many different ways to do therapy. Like there's like Freudian psychoanalysis. There's like cognitive behavioral therapy. There's just like talk therapy and everyone needs something a little different, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think it's such a valuable tool that when used properly, as I said, like I I didn't necessarily have a diagnosis. So I think for so long, I was like, even just trying to describe what I've been through, like, it's kind of difficult. And it's like, oh, there's not a word to explain it. But like, when therapy is used properly as a tool, it helped me get through the hard time I experienced and have continued to experience because it was doing its thing. Yeah. And I think it's um, funny too, or like interesting, because I remember when I was younger, and I would go to therapy, I for some reason felt so weird about it. So if someone was like, what are you doing? at whatever time I'd be like oh I'm running some errands with my mom and I don't know why I felt like kind of embarrassed to say I was going to therapy because now I'm like oh yeah I I go to therapy and I totally recommend it for anyone and I don't think there's anything to be embarrassed or have shame about for doing it so I'm happy that I've transformed that way yeah and like the more that people are able to just talk about it and normalize normalize it it. the more that other people will be like oh maybe I could go to therapy too like if Anna Lewis (laughs) <laughs> the coolest girl I know goes to therapy. Oh, yeah, the coolest. <laughs> okay, so Anna, would you like to share with us your topic for today? Yes. So I have to admit that I am a bit nervous to talk about this topic, um, like with a microphone in front of me and publicly, just because I feel like a, I, my close friends know this about me, but I feel like most like other people who kind of know me don't know about this and it has played a major role in my life but I just want to talk about eating disorders and my own struggle with an eating disorder um earlier on I had mentioned that I've been dealing with anxiety my whole life or for half of my life I would say and when I got to Boulder in Colorado that's when my eating disorder kick-started and it was it was so strange to me because I mean, all of a sudden I was counting calories and I was weighing myself and I was checking how many steps I walked a day and making sure I was exercising a lot. And 
it just felt so unnatural to me. And that's when I knew something was wrong. Um, So I was pretty quick to seek help. I went to go see a therapist about it. And it was okay, but I still just kept persisting on with these eating disorder tendencies. And I made a whole bunch of rules for myself. And I was super restrictive. And yeah, it was not good. So I kind of came to the conclusion that I was doing that because I felt very uncomfortable in Boulder and that didn't feel like the right place for me. So I went back home. I went back to LA to go to SMC. And in my time there, I continued my therapy. And I think for a long time when I was there, I thought that it was getting better. And I remember people, I would kind of tell people about my eating disorder. I'd be like, oh yeah, like when I was in Boulder and I had an eating disorder. And like, I was totally not aware that the eating disorder was still fully there, totally controlling my life. Um, And I just kind of felt like I was lying to people by pretending that it was a thing of the past. So I don't know. Um, Just to continue on, I I still struggle with it today. Um, And it really, really sucks because it's time consuming and it's mentally draining and you're never happy. And I just... I just feel like it's controlled my life. And I guess what I want to talk about in this topic is just the tie between self-esteem and eating disorders because a realization that I came to a couple months ago was that I just feel, and this is hard to admit, this is so hard to admit to yourself, but I feel like I have have really low self-esteem. And I think that for such a long time, my eating disorder was like, a way for me to have some sort of control over my life and it made me feel good because it was something that I knew I could achieve I knew that if I ate x amount of calories and I did x amount of workout a day I would like the way I look and I would feel accepted by other people and I thought about it and I was like it's just because I feel like I haven't really found out what my passions are yet and what my strengths are and that's okay because I'm 21 and I'm not supposed to have all my shit figured out yet. Um, But yeah, I, if I want, I just want to open up the stage to anyone who else wants to say anything about self-esteem. Yeah. Thanks for being so vulnerable, Anna. And I think it's super important that you're sharing this and that you're letting people know about this because I feel like so many people might see you out or see you on social media and just see such a carefree, like fun, awesome girl, which obviously you are, you're so fun to be around but they don't know like some of the struggles that you've been through and some of the issues that you've had. And I think it's, it's really admirable that you're like willing to share this with us. And I really appreciate you doing that. So I wanted to start off by saying that. Um, And I think that what you touched on, um, not just about self-esteem, but also about a feeling of control. I think that a lot of people with eating disorders um, you know, fall into this trap of just feeling anxious, feeling sad and feeling like, what is there in my life that I can control? And food and exercise is something that is so easy to latch on and control and feel like if I can just make this one aspect of my life perfect, everything else will be great. And I think that like society in general has told us that, you know, if you look good, you feel good. And, you know, if you have a good body, then people will will like you. And I truly feel like a lot of eating disorders come down to like this trifecta that Gigi and I were actually talking about the other day of like control, self-esteem, and a need for attention. You know, I feel like a lot of people who get into eating disorders like are just craving attention from other people and think that like 
being skinny and and losing weight and having a perfect body or whatever will bring that attention, will bring control, will bring control into a world of chaos and will bring self-esteem. And it it's so sad because I think once you start those eating disorder behaviors and tendencies, like it can just run completely rampant and start to just control your whole life. Um, and I think that like, you know, for you, Boulder was a really toxic environment that sort of like ignited this whole situation. Mm -hmm. And I think that like college campuses are just so rampant with low self-esteem and just talking trash like about ourselves and our own bodies and other women, like tearing other women down. And I think that in a lot of like Greek life and just like going out and like the whole college environment, I feel like can be such a breeding ground for eating disorders and not not just full-blown eating disorders but people displaying eating disorder behaviors and tendencies who maybe like don't even have, have an, an eating, eating disorder. disorder yeah but like there's so many problematic behaviors and like I'm, I'm sure that like for someone like you who's like actually really struggled and experienced it when you see someone you know exhibiting those tendencies I'm sure it's super it's triggering so triggering and I just feel like there's such a normalization of eating disorder language in college environments like with quote-unquote pulling trig or not having a full dinner in order to go out like I actually remember Gigi in high school you I feel like we would go to Whole Foods or something and I would try to have a small dinner before I went out for some reason to like look good in my outfit which is just so like it doesn't make any sense and there's no reason for that and also it just ends up messing you up later because you need to, if you're going to drink, you need to have like a full stomach. Right. I feel like there are so many things that I have to say right now. <laughs> First being that like, as you're saying, Anna, it is so normalized or both Liesl and Anna, you've said that like it, in the college campus environment, so many young women feel like in order to drink, which already there's so many like fears around drinking calories. Yeah. And, and all of this stuff and like, oh, if I eat less, then I can drink less. And they're just, it's this horrible cycle. And then of course, like you're saying, Anna, there's this whole pulling trig thing. It's just such a problematic, toxic environment to begin with. And I also, going back to what you were saying, Anna, before about like self-esteem and all of that, I know that my own personal struggles with eating disorder um, or disordered eating habits definitely had to do with self-esteem because I certainly felt unwanted. I felt ugly. I felt whatever because, you know, my peers and guys and whoever weren't giving me attention, weren't thinking of me as like the fun, you know, person that I know myself to be. And I thought, okay, finally, like if I can lose some weight, then people will finally, you know, see me as the beautiful person that I know myself to be. And unfortunately, it's like the more that you buy into that whole situation, Mm -hmm. the less self-esteem you have. Like you really, there's no world in which you can have that journey take place without it happening from within. Does that make sense? Like it, it has to be from within. And I think, for example, on a like Maybe you didn't necessarily have a full-blown eating disorder prior to going to Boulder, but there were those tendencies tendencies. or those, those like, you know, especially as we've already mentioned, going to high school around other girls that were already very body obsessed, very appearance obsessed, being superficial. It's like, we already had those seeds planted. 
Um, and obviously I think that my trajectory was occurring a little bit earlier than your yeah. full-blown eating disorder experience. But I do even, I remember being in college freshman year and feeling like I had very much overcome the large portion of my eating disorder issues but definitely I had still, I was living in a, in a world where the normalization of those drinking habits and those eating habits and talking to yourself in a certain way around your body and around that environment, it did, it made me feel like I could be saying things like, oh, I want to eat a small dinner or like saying to myself, I wasn't saying it outwardly oh, to other yeah. people, but to myself, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to eat a smaller dinner so that I can get drunk and get drunk fast and whatever. And, and yet I was still, you know, on the flip side to that, still saying to myself, oh yeah, I've overcome the majority of my eating disorder issues. Like I've overcome, like that, that chapter is behind me. And I think that as much as that was true, you know, the bulk of that was true. I think it, it's so difficult that then there are these kind of sneaky, these sneaky aspects to it that continue to creep back up because they are so normalized. 100%. And also like, you know, if you're an alcoholic, you can stop drinking. If you're a drug addict, like you can cancel drugs in your life, completely cut them out. And that's a hard journey to go on. And like, we totally validate that that's a really difficult experience to be addicted to. But like being addicted to having a toxic relationship with food, like you can never not eat, you know, like you will your entire life, you have to have food in your life. You can't avoid it. It's not like alcohol where I could just be like, I'm never going to a bar again. I'm never going to drink again. You're going to have to go to restaurants. You're going to have to eat at home. You're going to have to cook. And I think that that contributes to eating disorders being so hard to overcome and hard Mm -hmm. to acknowledge and deal with because food is always going to be there. Yeah, exactly. And that's something I did want to touch on too, is that I feel like for so long, I felt so much shame to admit it or to talk about it just because food and eating, that's that's supposed to be like a natural thing that, you know, that's, that's something you need to be alive. Like you need that for survival. And it's something like you have to do. And it just feels, and this is such a sad thing to say, it just feels like I can't do like the bare minimum. But I understand that that's not what it is. And I understand that it's way more of a mental game than it is um, like what I had just said. Yeah. Um, Something that you said that really resonated with me was bringing up like college campuses. And obviously we've touched on like how growing up in LA is potentially problematic. But before I said, I say that I just want to ditto what Liesl said earlier and just tell you, Anna, how much I admire you sharing this in such a public way. Like really it's, so wonderful and I have so much admiration for you for doing that but I don't want to like embarrass you with attention no, so I'll I move, thank you I'll move forward but like I really do just want to say that because that's how I feel thank you and I feel like I am a bit more comfortable talking about it now just because I am not I think I've definitely made progress and I'm not in quotes as bad as I used to be I yes, think Gigi? rather than saying it like not yeah. as bad it's more so that you've opened yourself up to the idea that you're on the road to recovery. Exactly. And I that's what I wanted to say too, is that I feel like for the longest time, I would kind of say things like, oh, I'm, I'm always going to have this problem. Like, I'm always going to have an eating disorder. And recently, I've been feeling more like, why would I? Why would I tell myself that? That's not true. And I can, I, it's going to take a lot of mental work, but I can work 
to live a life where that won't be a problem for me. And um, I've told my close friends this, but I am going to seek treatment. And that's something that I also was so like, hell no, I don't want to do that. And I, as you were saying, I kind of felt like for a long time, I was like, no, like, I'm not as bad as other people. So therefore, I don't have a serious problem. But it's a, it's called a disorder. Like, it's not. And it's also, <laughs> it's fighting to protect itself. Like, your eating disorder is fighting to, or it's, it's telling you, like, oh, you're not that bad. Or, oh, you don't need help. Or it just tries to be defensive against these, these things. And I think the fact that you are opening yourself up to the idea of, of getting help and and seeking professional assistance with this is such a huge step in the right direction. And we're all so happy for you on that. Thank you. Yeah. And I guess I just feel like the more I am able to talk about this and even like I've, I've been open about it. And then in return, I've received other girls being open about it to me. And I think just opening up like a space for conversation about this helps so much. Cause when I talk about it, I'm like, what? Like, why would I do that? Like, why would I not have the pizza or the pasta with my close friends? Like, why would I deprive myself of that? Why would I think that that's gonna have anything to say about who I am as a person? Yeah. And I think that also, like, going back to, you know, eating being something you can never cut out of your life. Eating is also such a public thing. And it's such a shared thing in society. Like, how often do you just like sit and eat alone? you know, most of the time you're eating around others. And I think that there's like shame and expectations and judgments over just even what you order at dinner, you know? And like, we've been told since day one as women, like, oh, when you go on a date, order a salad, not the pasta. You know what I mean? Like, it is so ingrained in society for like, especially women, I think, and in public to like, eat in a ladylike way and eat the right thing and like eat this and not that. And you know, if you're a woman, gaining weight is like the worst thing that you can do. But if you're a man and you have a beer gut, it's like, haha, funny, you know? Um, I think another thing is tying in what you've just shared, Liesl, and also Anna, what you were saying about opening up to other young girls who are experiencing the same thing. I think like part of the problem with eating disorders is that it is so all in your own head. And there is this like, unspoken competition amongst young women Mm -hmm. to be the thinnest to be the prettiest to be the this to be the that and it's like it just becomes so overwhelming and you feel like you've just been sucked into it and the more that we can be open about it the less that it becomes like such a such an issue in your mind you know what I mean even with my own personal experience I know that, you know, I I don't think I went that long without opening up about it to Anna, but I remember, like, us having conversations about it from a pretty early point. Definitely. And that, like, really kind of turning things around in my mind as far as, like, realizing that it wasn't something that I had to do or feeling such low self-esteem and, and body image issues wasn't something that I had to experience. Yeah, and I think also to go along with that, I just feel like eating disorders are also really stigmatized. And people think, you know, someone stick thin, you know, they have an eating disorder, someone really obese or something or has an eating disorder, but that's not the case. You can look and in like quotes anything. completely like anything. I don't want to say normal. Yeah, like yeah. anything. And you can still have one and it's the thing in your head. Yeah. And going off of the stigmatization, just that it's so interesting that it's so normalized to 
use words like pull trig or everything that we were talking about earlier and like that's quote unquote acceptable but it's so taboo to admit to having an eating disorder exactly or yeah. talking about that publicly and that feels like something that is shameful when it's so the opposite and it's just so crazy that we've gone so long without saying things like that yeah yeah and I think what the realization I came to a couple months ago about the self-esteem and the eating disorder is that my eating disorder has been such a distraction from me exploring myself and exploring my passions and learning about my strengths and weaknesses and I feel like without that voice there I can explore these other things and therefore build my self-esteem and I'm excited to do that and I feel like I already kind of am doing that even just by talking about it (laughs) yes Gigi totally I think also going back to what you had originally said way back at the beginning on it it's just that like it's so mentally draining and consumes so much space in your head that it makes it difficult to lead like a happy, satisfied, fulfilled life. And I think it's so awesome that you are excited about opening up that space in your mind and having the freedom to really explore yourself outside of of something that has previously defined your daily existence. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think that like the number one thing that I want our wise babies to take away from not only this conversation, but also our conversation about body positivity that we had with Sophie, um, is think about the way that you talk about yourself and think about the way that you talk about others. And especially when you're talking about food, exercise, diet, nutrition, weight loss, etc. Think about who you could be triggering, you know, and like, how many times has a girl looked in the mirror and been like, oh my god, I'm like, such a fat cow. And then turn to her friend and be like, but you look amazing. And it's like, you, as that friend who's being told you look amazing, but your friend just told herself that she looks like shit. Like, it's so so triggering and like, just like harmful and toxic to put that out there. Um, And I think that like, the more that we as women and just people in general and society can talk kindly about ourselves to ourselves to our friends to our family to old people to young people to boys to girls to in between like you know we need to think about the language that we use and try to empower each other and empower ourselves and and really like be intentional about the way that you talk about your body because I know that as someone who hasn't had an eating disorder I have personally gotten triggered by the way that other girls talk about themselves and then that has sent me in a spiral, you know? Yeah, and something that a family friend showed me or said to me last week, which I just loved, she she pulled up this old picture that I had posted on Instagram of me when I was like five. I think Gigi did this too one time. And she said, look at that little girl. And then would, would you want to say all the mean things you say to yourself to that little girl? And I'm like, oh my God, like, no, never. And I that really helped me a lot because I feel like I spend a lot of time being really hard on myself. Like, you didn't do enough for school. You didn't work out hard enough. You were lazy today. Just constantly saying negative things. And I um, am trying to build myself up a little bit more. And I think a big part of self-esteem that makes it especially difficult for young women, and as we've talked about girls in high school, girls in college, is that it's really easy with self-esteem issues to project them onto others, whether that's knowingly or unknowingly. And I know that's something I've felt a lot as someone who also hasn't struggled with an eating disorder, 
but has felt on numerous occasions from my friends at school, let's say, who are maybe critical of their bodies or critical of whatever's going on in their life, like, oh, then is there something wrong with me? And it's really easy when you have low self-esteem to maybe put others down to feel a little higher because you're feeling so low. And I think that makes it especially difficult, as I said, for young girls who are in this environment where everyone's kind of feeling that way. And then you don't really know if it's your own self-esteem issues or if it's someone else's issues that are projected onto you. And I know that's something that I feel very regularly being in a sorority, going to a school of young people and just like college, high school in general, it can be really difficult to navigate this interface between like your own issues because it's obviously such a tough time and everyone else's issues that feel like they're somehow your own because of the language we use, the normalization, the time we spend together. And then all of that interplay just gets messy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one thing I try to remind myself is that I, I do love myself and it's okay for me to not know what my future looks like or what my career is going to be. And I think I'm just working on kind of melding together my self-love and self-esteem so they can be And I think also together. like si- sitting with that discomfort of uncertainty and not knowing what your future is all about is a good thing at the end of the day. And yeah. I think that like the it's possible that the eating disorder has been there to mask that fear around um uncertainty and that like it's something that you can focus on in the now so that you don't have to worry about the the worries of the future yeah and like I think that's such a normal thing to feel like just being uncertain about the future and there's nothing to feel ashamed about that you know everyone finds their passions and their interests at different points in their life totally and I think that that's that really goes back to the core of this podcast being sophomore citizens and being about this time in our lives where we're in our early 20s we're trying to find what we want out of life we're trying to figure out our purpose our jobs you know our friendships our relationships and all of that sort of stuff and I think that this podcast, like our main goal is to try to create a community, you know, of people around our age or of of different ages who feel like they're in this stage of life where, you know, we're becoming adults and trying to figure all of this out. And this, this adjustment period into the next phase of our lives is so valuable and important. I think we want to learn how to embrace it and enjoy the uncertainty of this time. And having a sense of humility around not knowing mm-hmm. and, yeah. and openness around not knowing and admission of not knowing. Yeah, 100%. Um, and I think that what we kind of started to touch on about friends and relationships and other people in our lives and the way that they talk about themselves and the way that their behaviors impact us really is a great segue into my topic for this episode, which is all about dealing with having friends or close family members or people in your life who are struggling with mental illness. Um, I can speak from experience a little bit because my best friend in high school um, struggled with OCD. um, And I think that OCD is a mental illness that has a lot of confusion and misconceptions around it. With her treatment um, for her OCD, she was doing what's called exposure therapy, which is where you kind of expose yourself to what you're most afraid of and what is most difficult and kind of sit with that discomfort. 
Um, and so, for example, she was really afraid of flying in airplanes. Um, and that was one of her biggest OCD kind of fears. So when she would go to therapy, they would just like make her sit and watch plane crash videos over and over and over. And she had to sit with that discomfort and sit with that feeling and sit with that anxiety so that the next time she got on a plane, she could sit with it and handle it and deal with it. Um, but it was this interesting balance of trying to be supportive of my friend, but also trying to push my friend. And when I could tell that she was going through, you know, an uncomfortable moment, part of her treatment is to like not let her alleviate that discomfort, like try to in, in some kind of way force her into feeling uncomfortable. And I think that with a lot of different mental health struggles, there's this push and pull of like support versus trying to like push them in the right direction. And I think that that's something that even we've experienced with Anna is, you know, as she's been going through her eating disorder, you know, we, Gigi and I and Lily, you know, being kind of part of Anna's life, try to support her and be there for her and, you know, just like love on her, but at the same time push her and like, call her when we can tell that her eating disorder is taking over. Yeah, and I think I can vividly remember us being in San Francisco together. And this is when I would say it was pretty bad. And I remember Liesl kind of challenging me about the eating disorder. And it was just, it just made me feel so angry. And I just, I got so defensive. And in my head, I was like, what is she doing? Like, why would she put me on the spot like this and thinking all these thoughts and then you know with time later thinking about it and being like oh i'm so grateful i have friends who are trying to challenge me and push me in the right direction and i understand how it can be hard sometimes to do that because you don't want to trigger the other person and you don't want to make them upset but you also want them to do things they're uncomfortable with in order for them to get better totally and i think When it comes to eating disorder situations, as someone who has dealt with my own version of that experience, I feel like I have some um, like reference point for what might be helpful, what are things that are nice to hear, what things are difficult to hear, that kind of thing. Um, But there are plenty of, you know, mental health struggles that friends of mine have had that I don't really have a reference point for. Or maybe my only reference point is something that's like very minor that I've experienced in my life. And I guess all I can do in those situations is to help support my friends and make them feel like what they're experiencing is valid, is reasonable, is real. And that I, I believe them and that I'm, I'm there to support them in whatever, whatever way I can. And in this situation and in other situations regarding mental health, issues or really anything of the sort I find myself whenever someone has a problem really trying to like empathize with them and think like okay this is what they're going through and it's hard for me to admit to myself like I have no idea what's happening and it's taken me a while to realize that when I have friends who are going through mental health issues specifically like it's okay for me to have no idea what they feel like but to still be a helpful friend that is simply there to support. And just because I haven't, let's say, experienced that, yeah, maybe there's some things that I can't do that is best with professional help or with people who can relate to them. But that doesn't mean that I can't be there as a supportive, helpful force. And that's taken me so long to understand. Yeah, and along with that, I think if the person dealing with the mental health issue 
is comfortable with it. I think asking questions is just a great way of finding out more because I know that I have a couple friends who, Lily, as you were saying, don't fully understand what an eating disorder is like. And they've simply just asked questions about it. And I feel open talking about it. So I'll just answer them. And they'll kind of get a better understanding of how it just kind of like takes over your your head. Yeah. And I think even like as someone who knows a good amount about your experience, Anna, like I still to this day find myself asking you questions. Mm-hmm. Like if I feel like there's something that I don't fully understand or if there's something that like I see you struggling with, but you don't know how to help it all I can do is kind of try and get you to open up about your own experience. Like not try to tell you what to do or tell you like how to go about it. But the more that I can get you to talk about what you're thinking and feeling and get you to verbalize it, the better. Yeah. And I actually remember, you know, I think most of my friends know about this and they're all very supportive and I'm so happy with how my friends have handled the situation and have treated me with it. But I remember one time a friend saying something kind of jokingly like, oh yeah, Anna, like I'd feel so uncomfortable eating Taco Bell in front of you. And that just, that just like broke my heart. Like that made me feel so sad because for me personally, the best thing someone can do when it comes to eating disorders is just like be normal about food in front of me. And it makes me feel so much more comfortable and less awkward about eating And I just like, it made me feel so sad that someone would feel uncomfortable eating something like a certain type of food around me because they would think I was judging them when in reality, I'm like, no, please do that. Like that makes me feel so good and happy and it makes me feel less scared of doing that. Yeah. And like, as that other person, like you have to remind yourself, like, it's not about me. Like honest eating eating disorder is not about me and how I eat and what I'm doing and how I exercise in my body. Like honest eating disorder genuinely is about her, you know, like typically when people have eating disorders or depression or anxiety or a lot of different mental health struggles, like it's not about other people around them. It's about what they're experiencing. So like the more that like, I think like what Anna was saying, like, not walking on eggshells, not feeling like you can't address something, but also being sensitive, being open, being understanding, like opening up a dialogue and like a conversation in like a safe way and being like, you know, if you're going to talk to someone about a mental health struggle that they're going through, being like, do you feel comfortable talking about this right now? Like, can I ask you some questions? Like that will make them feel so much more comfortable. And like, if they're not in the mood to talk about it, like I'm sure that Gigi and I have said to Anna before, like, do you want to talk about this or or do you want to just like, you know, think sit about it, it yeah. sit with it for a moment? And it's so important. Like, it seems so simple and like rudimentary to be like, do you want to talk right now? But like, sometimes <laughs> that's all someone needs is like, Means, yeah. and like the option of like, do you want to talk right now? Or like, should we just have some like quiet time? Which seems like a weird thing to say, but I think that sometimes that's exactly what the person needs is just to know that like, it's okay not to talk about it sometimes. Definitely. And I feel like I've noticed before in the past, sometimes people think that like, I think some people can maybe sense that I have some weirdness around food. um, And they'll try to like talk about food in a way that I think they think that I like it. So like they'll mention things about calories or whatever. And I'm just like, no, like, I don't want to hear about that. Like, please say anything but that. Like, I don't want to be focused on this. Like, please don't try to like, you know, stoop down to my level because like that's horrible. And I don't know, it's not helpful in any way, shape or form. 
And I just want to say in conclusion, as far as like being a supporter and a loved one of someone who is struggling with mental health, I always try to think back to like the golden rule versus the platinum rule. The golden rule being do unto others as you would want done unto you. Whereas that's great. That's okay. You know, that's a good try. But like the best thing that you can do is the platinum rule, which is do unto others as they would want done unto them. And what's the best way to know like what others want? Just ask them. Yeah. Ask your loved one, how can I support you best? What do you want from me? What questions should I ask? What do you feel comfortable talking about? How can I support you? And then do your best to to follow through on that. Yeah. And I, I know you don't harbor any negative feelings towards me about this, Gigi, but I just... I still kind of feel bad to this day because I remember when you were going through your depression and anxiety, um, I feel like I was just so confused about what you were experiencing and what was going on. I just feel like I was kind of like, why why does Gigi not want to go out to this party with me? Or like, why does Gigi not want to go sit at a restaurant with me? Like thinking these are things you do with your best friend. They're totally normal. But now after experiencing anxiety and depression I totally get that feeling of not wanting to be out in public and just wanting to be by yourself and feeling the most comfortable that way so I just I wish I had the head I do now when I was in high school helping you go through it but I'm happy that I've kind of grown and gotten to that place now yeah and just to um affirm what you've said Anna I of course do not harbor any negativity towards you for that It's a super, you know, difficult situation to understand as a young person, like either going through it yourself or watching someone else go through it as young people, just like simply trying to function and like trying to understand. Just like survive the day to day. Exactly. Like understand what you're changing body parts and all (laughs) these just like weird things happening all the time. It's obviously, you know, just some, it's uncharted territory for most young people and like Liesl had said, the more that we can ask questions and and use our our careful curiosity to better understand others. I love that, Gigi. In, in summary, just use your careful curiosity. All right. Now I would love to shift the conversation over to Lily's topic for today. So when I think about mental health and society and all of that, something that comes to mind is the way that positivity plays into all of this. And I specifically mention this because I feel like there's some pressure to be positive, upbeat, in a good mood, and somehow that equates to being mentally healthy, mentally sane, mentally stable, whatever we're going to use. And in my experience, that is just not the case. But I think for quite some time, I've felt pressure to like, be a positive person and like, oh, look at it from a positive outlook. And like, if you're able to do that, then you're fine. When like feeling the feelings of sadness or feeling, you know, going through something rather than just like it being okay is so healthy and such an important thing that obviously takes work to get to. But I just think that society has kind of pushed this idea of feeling okay. And even people saying things like, oh, you'll be okay. Oh, it's fine. Oh, but like, let me point out the really positive part of this, which has value to an extent. But I think that's something that I've struggled with a bit. And it's taken me so long to understand that like, it's okay to feel not happy and still be happy overall. Or it's okay for something to not be good in the moment, but like, 
it's okay in the long run. So I just wanted to open that up and get your guys's input. So I also think that this idea of positivity then being an indication of what your mental health is like completely glosses over the fact that mental health is oftentimes out of people's control. It is a chemical imbalance or it is, you know, circumstances that are completely out of people's control. And it's not just a matter of pulling yourself up by the bootstraps or putting on a smile or a positive attitude to fix the issue at hand. And I think that like this idea that positivity is is the solution or the quick fix or the way to avoid mental health issues is such a huge misconception. Totally. And I think in the words of the Shakespeare of our generation, Dixie D'Amelio, um, sometimes, sometimes I don't want to be happy. Don't hold it against me. If I'm down, just leave me there. Let me be sad. How do you remember all of those words? Weasel, that was so good. I'm really good at learning lyrics, actually. That's a fun fact about me. Is that but a song? That's a song, yeah. Okay. Um, but I was reading it, reciting it as poetry, because it is poetry. Um, but I think that, like, this idea that we have to be happy all the time, and I think that especially um, in America and, like, in American culture, we really emphasize, like, happiness, success, money, you know, like, all of these things are our are, are ideals in society and we value them so highly and I think like Lily is saying it's so important to acknowledge like sadness is a real emotion anger jealousy you know um discomfort anxiety these are just as valid of emotions and just as valid to be going through as feeling happy and just as important in life um and I always you know think about expressions and phrases and cliches about, you know, you can't have the ups without the downs. Like you don't appreciate truly feeling happy unless you felt sad because you just don't have an understanding of like, you know, feeling truly sad sometimes and then feeling happy. You, you appreciate feeling happy so much more. And I think that like, even with COVID going on, you know, like we've been isolated we haven't been able to have our normal routines and I keep thinking like when things get to go back to somewhat normal I'm going to really appreciate each moment um and I also think like an expression that I think of a lot is that it's always darkest before the dawn and I just think that's like a really beautiful phrase to encapsulate like sometimes the saddest lowest moments of your life like right around the corner is something really beautiful and some change and some growth and development. Um, And I think that like just emphasizing and underlining what Lily is saying about positivity and optimism, just being a little bit overrated, Mm -hmm. you know, there it's valuable, but it's just a little overrated. Yeah. And my mom gave me valuable advice about this because I think for a while I would tell her, Oh, I feel so sad about this or, I'd be in a mood and, you know, my mom wants to help me. She wants to make me feel good. So she would kind of for a while take that like positivity standpoint, be like, you know, it'll be okay. Like whatever, all of those positive remarks. But then now she's recently been saying, no, Anna, like, why don't you just sit with that feeling of sadness and just experience those emotions and just let it like flow by as a wave. And I think that's such great advice because I feel like we're always trying to find like, what can we distract ourselves with 
or what can we do next so we don't have to think about these negative thoughts but sometimes the best thing to do is just like sit with them and yeah like it sucks it doesn't feel great but you know you come out the other side totally I think that maybe you don't but you know you experience the feeling you go through it you go through it exactly the only way like around it or or to get over it is to go through it you know so many propositions um but I think that it's like this emphasis on positivity is is giving too much airtime to that one emotion right and as we we've sort of discussed I think like sitting with those other emotions is the only way to really understand them to understand yourself and to be able to move through the world with a you know like mature mindset. Yeah, emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence. And I think that sitting with those feelings or going through those feelings, like that is okay. And I think more often than not, we're like, oh, we're not okay until we're happy. And Mm -hmm. it, like Gigi and Liesl pointed this out to me a few weeks ago when I was going through a hard time. And I remember I was saying to them, I was like, once I get over this, like I'll be okay. And they were like, no, no, you can be sad and you can be dealing with it and still be okay. And obviously, you know, that, that begs the question of like, defining okay but like again like it's fine it's normal it's healthy to feel things other than like oh look at the bright side oh it's gonna be fine but that you there's other things to go through and that is just as healthy and stable as feeling so upbeat and just going back to what lily was referencing um about her own personal struggles a couple weeks ago i was saying essentially that like the resolution of this issue is it going to push out the sadness it's not like that's just going to go away as soon as quote unquote the problem is solved I think that the idea was just that she could resolve this issue but still have some emotions to sit with and things to work through and and aspects of herself and her own reaction to it to better understand and that's the work of growing up yeah and sometimes your head and your heart are not going to align you can on a totally logical level, you know, be over something and not care about it or feel like you've worked through it. And try and be positive. But, and try to be positive and, and understand like, oh, okay, you know, X, Y, and Z is happening and I can accept that. But your heart, a lot of the time, like needs time to catch up to where your mind is at. Totally. So moving swiftly along to my topic for today, I think it's wonderful in the way that our generation and you know, young people in the media have begun to speak more openly about their struggles with mental health. Um, and like I said, I think that that is a good thing. There's there's nothing wrong with people uh, using their platform to speak openly about their own experiences. But I do see a problem with the way that quote unquote self-care has taken center stage as this like magic quick fix of oh, you put on a face mask, you read a book, and you your anxiety is cured. <laughs> Even Kendall Jenner specifically got flack for this earlier on in quarantine for talking about her, you know, issues with anxiety. And of course, people then come at her for having 10 mansions that she can quarantine at. And of course, anyone in any experience can have mental health struggles. But at the same time, when she then tries to say, oh, I just journal and put on a face mask and I feel so much better. It really does start to feel like it's minimizing people's very real struggles and their very real issues with mental health that 
unfortunately can't be solved that quickly. And I think that like self-care can really be very meaningful for a lot of people and it can look like something different for everyone, but I don't like this, um, I don't want to say persona, but like this, the shape that it's taken on social media, I think is kind of problematic. And I think that like self-care has become an industry and has become a, an advertising term to sell products to us. This face mask is for your self-care. This candle, this essential oil, aromatherapy, you know, there's so many things that you can buy to alleviate your anxiety and have, you know, this self-care moment. And it's like, why do I have to buy a product to just feel good? Like, that's ridiculous. And I think that like, a lot of the times, the the best quote-unquote self-care activities are the simplest. You know, like hanging out with your friends, watching a movie, reading a book, going for a walk, going for a walk, playing tennis, like hanging out with your pet, hanging out with your pet, just like literally chilling with your, with your pet. I mean, our pet, our dog has doggy anxiety. um, So sometimes she's not the best care animal, but you know, try, like try out self-care without buying anything new, you know, see how that feels as opposed to like, you know, always just trying to buy, buy, buy to make yourself feel better. Yeah. And what I wanted to say is that I feel like a lot of people are like, oh yeah, like self-care, like yoga or whatever. And, you know, I was a member at Core Power for a couple years now, and I just feel like they build their whole empire on, oh yes, like become one with yourself and take care of yourself. But like that whole environment to me was just like full of red flags. Like I felt like that totally like helped stimulate my eating disorder and my anxiety. Like there was nothing self-care when I walked into that studio at all. It felt competitive. Oh yeah. It felt like they were just trying to sell me on shit. And then once you've been going for a while, um, sometimes a teacher will come up to you and go, have you thought about yoga teacher training? You With a low, low payment of $100,000, <laughs> you can become a core power instructor and make money doing what you love and it starts to feel like a multi-level marketing scheme <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah uh-huh. oh i God. also think the label of self-care could potentially be a little problematic just because the idea that like doing something like as we've mentioned these activities like a face mask or yoga or going for a walk that like are not in themselves healing or medicinal like that can be kind of problematic to be like, okay, you have an issue, like practice some self-care and you'll be better when like, it's absolutely fine to need more help than self-care, which is in many ways, no help. And I'm not saying self-care doesn't have a purpose because it does, but when it is a, a quick fix for mental health problems, I just think that gets really tricky of like labeling things as self care that are just like part of your daily life. And like, there is a difference in my mind between like self-care and self-help and they're not always the same. And I think going back to what I was saying about, oh, pick yourself up by the bootstraps and make it happen. It's like, there's, we have this um, stigma around seeking help and that can mean, you know, in the mental health territory or otherwise, but like similar to what you're saying, Lily, I think that people with self-care sometimes feel like they have to be able to do it themselves. And a lot of the time with mental health, you might need the help of other people. You might need the help of your loved ones or a professional in order to 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 work through whatever it is that you're dealing with. 100%. 
Okay, so for our recommendation for this episode, I want to bring it back to something that we were talking about in the beginning, which was that we did a photo shoot for our friends who got engaged. And I would like to encourage all of our listeners to either have a photo shoot with their friends, have a little selfie session, get engaged. engaged. Or, or just get engaged and that will make all of your problems go away. Um, no. Uh, I think that taking photos of yourself, like we were talking about with self-esteem, like, you know, enjoying the act of like taking some photos and making it a fun, positive experience. I know that like in high school and middle school, all of us <laughs> used to just walk around the streets of our neighborhood taking photos of each other on our little DSLR camera and just post every photo we took an album of like 300 photos onto Facebook and just be like the world you need this and I think that that's something that like we should come back to a little bit and doing photo shoots and just you know getting dressed up and putting on some makeup and just or not or just you know blank face um just taking photos such a fun like awesome activity to do and I feel like especially in quarantine like we rarely ever, you know, get dolled up or care about what we look like because the world just feels like it doesn't matter right now. But it's a great moment of hashtag self-care to take some selfies. Awesome. And once again, I would just like to say that in this episode covering the topic surrounding mental health, we of course didn't touch on everything that there is to be said. Um, and we probably said some things wrong. You know, we're not perfect. We didn't say everything completely right. And we're not trying to diagnose or prescribe or tell anyone what to do whatsoever. Yeah, and I just want to say if anyone has any questions for me or wants to talk to me about their own struggles with that, I would love to listen and have a conversation. That'd be really great. Totally. Yeah. We are all here to listen. And, you know, um, I don't want to say give any unsolicited advice. And obviously, as Lisa was saying, <laughs> we don't uh, have any credentials in this no field. But we are... For young, stunning, vivacious young women who have, you know, experienced some of this stuff. Yeah. Which is what it is to be a sophomore citizen. And as we have said a few times and will continue to say, we're not claiming to know much, but we're just here to talk about what we do know. And that is how it goes for every episode. We're just sharing the little bit of life experience we have so far. Yeah. And you could reach out to us by DMing us on Instagram at sophomore citizens um and we will definitely be tagging at anna lewis so go give her a follow if you want some fun fresh flirty content fun, fresh, flirty. <laughs> and again we would just like to thank you anna for being our guest for today's Most episode amazing yeah guest. thank you for and having me guys for being so vulnerable sharing your experience i'm happy i could be honest yes honesty, honesty with, with anna. anna yeah exactly exactly <laughs> Thank you for listening to Sophomore Citizens, the podcast by young people for young people with new episodes every Thursday and Sunday. So we'll see you as babies then. Also, follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Sophomore Citizens and make sure to leave a five-star review. Goodbye.